0: Welcome to the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the Director of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bible Teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. We have a new website we want to steer you to. It is SavingEvangelicals.com. It links you to the website TestYourTestimony.com. There you'll find an interactive experience that guides you in testing your testimony of saving faith. 2 Corinthians 13.5 commands that those in the church do just that. Test yourselves, it says. And see whether you're in the faith or don't you know that Christ is in you unless you fail the test. So go to SavingEvangelicals.com or TestYourTestimony.com and take the test. Today we take up the account from Luke 1 of the miraculous birth of John the Baptist. After years of prophetic silence, God prepares a prophet to rise and proclaim the coming of the Savior. And God gives him the name John, which means God is Gracious. It's early in the morning and Zacharias has arrived with the course of the priests that are to serve in that morning time. He's of the course of Abijah. What you'll learn is that the priest in Israel will divide it up into enough courses so that each course may serve the Lord two weeks out of the year, so at separate times, one week and then six months later, they would serve basically another week of the year the service in the temple. The course was so large that they basically would only serve for one half day. So basically each individual had one half day, two times a year, one half of a day to serve in the temple. There were 700 basically or roughly individuals in the course, that course would serve for seven days, 50 of them would serve in the morning, 50 of them would serve in the afternoon or the latter part of the day. So 50 would come and open up the worship in the temple for that day. And 50 would close out the worship of that temple for that day. And Zacharias is a part of the course that's going to take care of the worship for one morning and open up the worship in the temple for that day. At the beginning of the day, they would go out, these 50 priests, and they would walk by torchlight through the temple to make sure that everything was in order. Then they would gather together and they would draw lots For there were three things that were specifically given to three individuals. They would draw the first lot, and the first person who was drawn on that lot would have the opportunity to lay out the first morning sacrifice and to offer up that sacrifice and let the blood of that sacrifice drip upon the coals of the altar. The second lot came to a man whose job was to take the coals from off the altar and bring it into the holy place and put those coals on the altar of incense. The third lot would come to a priest who then would go before the altar of incense in the most holy place and he would put the incense over top of those burning coals and as the fumes from that incense burning on the altar of incense began to fill that chamber, he would make prayer for the nation and the people in that day and in that hour and this lot on this day came to Zacharias. Now, another thing you need to know is that once you had this opportunity, you never got the opportunity again. In other words, it was a one-time opportunity for a priest within his course to one time put the incense upon the altar of incense and issue up the prayers that were given to God. And so, who knows, maybe the lot didn't initially come to Zacharias, but because he had not had the lot fall to him throughout all the years of his ministry, Eventually it whittled down that, uh, oh, well, this brother has done it before, and this brother has done it before, let's keep drawing the lot, and finally, the lot fell to Zacharias, and it was Zacharias' turn, an opportunity to bring this prayer before the Lord in the the most holy place. And so he goes in the most holy place, and he begins to offer up his prayers for the people of Israel, and he would have begun by just simply praying that, that God would bless the nation of Israel. He would have prayed with the flickering lights of the golden candlestick burning behind him to his right and the table of showbread to his left as the fumes of the, and the fragrance of the burning incense began to fill the room. He would have poured out his prayer and he would have prayed for the people of Israel that God would fulfill all the righteous desires that God had for the people, that the people's deep spiritual needs would be met, that the people's rebellion against God and their sin would be confessed that the people would once again become softened before the Lord and their hearts would be moved towards them and they would abandon their rebellion and they would seek him with pure hearts and likely prayed that the long years of prophetic silence that Israel had endured would come to an end. It had been over 400 years since a prophet had spoken in Israel. He prayed that those 400 years would be concluded. He prayed that the Messiah would come and deliver the nation from their oppressors and that he would set up his rule of righteousness over the nation. and. It would have been a wonderful prayer to hear. Think about this. He's been preparing the opportunity to pray in this way throughout all the time of his ministration, and now his time had come, and he was pouring out his heart for his people and for his nation and his longings for God to meet their deep spiritual needs and his, his longing that God would send the Messiah to them to rescue them and deliver them and to restore them and his longing that God would once again speak through prophets that would direct them and guide them in God's truth. As he comes to the end of his prayer, Zacharias then allows himself to pray a personal prayer as well. It may be that early on in their marriage, when they began to understand that they weren't able to have children and that Elizabeth was barren, that there had been a promise that he made to his wife that when he had an opportunity to pray in the most holy place, that he would pray that God would open up a womb and they'd have children. And each successive year, the opportunity never came, but on this occasion, Now that he's in that temple, now that he's in the most holy place, he keeps the promise. Even though it really is too late, and the time of childbearing is past. he keeps the promise and he prays, dear God, you've blessed me completely throughout my life, and you've blessed me in this day with this opportunity to meet in your presence and intercede on behalf of my nation. And now, God, I ask this one thing, Elizabeth is barren, and would you give her a child so that We might give you a child together that would serve you and serve you after us. And he prays his prayer. Well, at this point in time, Zacharias realizes that he's not alone in the holy place. He looks to see on his right side at the altar of incense is an angel. And for a moment, he's gripped with fear. It's Gabriel, the one who had spoken to the prophet Daniel. Gabriel says to Zacharias, Zacharias, don't be afraid. Your prayer has been answered. Your prayer has been answered. This strange prayer that he added at the end that he tacked on as a possibly a keeping of a promise to himself and to his wife. Elizabeth will bear a son, and he will be a cause of joy to you and many others, and he will be great in God's eyes. He will be filled from birth with the Holy Spirit. He will bring many in Israel back to the Lord, and you will call his name John. John means... God is gracious. God gives to us what we do not deserve. God deals with us bountifully out of his goodness and not according to our sins. His name will be called John. Zacharias for a moment is taken aback. He's had this personal request that he's made answered, but he wasn't expecting an answer to his personal request. He doesn't believe it. He's Filled with doubt, he asked the angel a question, how will I know that this takes place? How will I know that this is going to happen? Now you remember when the same angel comes to Mary, Mary asked, how will these things be? Mary's question really is a question of faith. Her question is, how is this going to take place? How is this going to happen? But Zacharias' question is not a question of faith, it's a question of doubt. He says, what sign will you give me that these things will be? How do I know you're telling me the truth? That's what he's saying. <laughs> well, Gabriel doesn't appreciate, he doesn't appreciate Zacharias's question. Gabriel says, I'm Gabriel, I'm the one who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you, to bring to you these glad tidings. But behold, you're going to be mute, and you're not going to be able to speak until the time that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And he got a sign. He couldn't utter a word. He couldn't say anything. He came out of the temple and he was making all kinds of motions and the people were wondering, why is he in the most holy place for such a long time? And then when he came out and he's not able to speak to them and he's trying to pantomime some expression of something that happened, they realized that something mysterious and profound has taken place in the holy place where he was praying. Well, Elizabeth conceives a child, and the day comes when the child is born, and you can imagine everyone in the village that knew them and respected them and looked up to them is rejoicing with them, and eight days later, the time has come for the child to be presented for circumcision. The family gathers around. It's a wonderful occasion. One of the priests takes up the little baby into his arms and He's going to bless that child and present it before the Lord. And before the child is circumcised, he sets upon the child in the midst of his prayer a name, Zacharias. We'll call him Zacharias after his father. The father can't speak. He can't say what the name is. But it's obvious that that's the right name to give the child. And, well, Elizabeth interrupts. No, he isn't to be called Zachariah. He's to be called John, which means God is gracious. Now the people have a problem. This is not the way things work in that day and age. You name the child after a family member, and John is not a family name. Family names are important, and John's name doesn't fit here. The name signifies the right to inheritance, to lay hold of the privileges and property of the one from which they came. and. Some men in the Bible are introduced to us only by the names of their fathers. There's Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. And there is Bartholomew, which means the son of Ptolemy, And there's Barnabas, which means the son of Nabas. That's how we know them. We know them simply by their father's names. After all, the family has passed down this name from generation to generation to generation. Zechariah's name is a good name. It means the Lord remembers. And look, the Lord has remembered you. It is only appropriate that you name him Zachariah. The insistence is that his name will be called John. It's not a family name. I kind of know how this works. When my wife was expecting our first child, my grandmother was lobbying hard that I name my son after my father. My father's name was John Barry Van Hoogen. So my grandmother was lobbying very hard that I would name my son John Barry. Well, we had picked out a different name and we had told everybody that we were going to name our son Charles Wesley. My thinking was that if the child got bored in church, he would look through the hymnal and he'd see Charles Wesley and maybe he'd learn something from his hymnal. So (laughs) she didn't like that. She wasn't impressed by that. And so she continued to lobby. Eventually she came to me and she pointed out to me, my, my grandmother was Sicilian, that in the old country it was acceptable. In fact, it was actually appropriate that the first child that was born would be named after the grandfather on the wife's side, and then the second one would be named after your father. So she's making a bit of concession here, but she's angling for a John Barry to come along eventually, and I said, well, I don't think that would work out because my wife's father's name is Wilbur. She goes, oh. She pauses. She says, well, dear, it's, it's okay if you even name it after your wife's grandfather. That would be fine as well." well. His name, Grandma, is Eldo. She looked at me and said, never mind, dear. (laughs) Okay, the argument was set aside. Well, we surprised them all by naming our son, John Barry, afterwards, and she didn't expect it. She actually came to the hospital after the baby was born. She gave me a a ring. She said, now listen, this is not because you've named your son after your father, but it helps. It was a a bit of a uh, scandal here that they're not going to name the son Zacharias, but they're going to name it a name that's not a family name, John. They motion to Zacharias that he would put some sense into his wife. He motions that they give him something to write upon. He writes on a tablet, and he writes, his name is John. And as soon as the pen finishes its last stroke, his mouth is opened up And he begins to pour out praise to God. He says, blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. The first words off of his lips. And all this time of being silenced, the silence ended with a song. And on that piece of paper, the first words that brought an end to 400 years of prophetic silence because John would be the next prophet to come along. The first words that in 400 years of prophetic silence are recorded in a new family name. God is gracious. God is good to us, undeservingly good to us. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of church partnership, evangelism, and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. We are at work to take this gospel to the ends of the earth, and we need your prayers and your support. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.